This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, today the Church gives us this wonderful story of the conversion of St. Matthew. Of course, we find it in Matthew's Gospel. It's wonderful that the writer himself, reflecting on the process by which he was called to Christ. There's a particularly great painting of this scene. Maybe if you've been to Rome, you've seen it. It's in the church of St. Louis, the Frenchman in Rome, by Caravaggio. In this scene, we have Matthew and his cronies and hangers-on, and they're at the tax collector's table. It's piled high with money, and a couple of the friends there are busily counting the money. As was the custom, of course, Caravaggio paints them in the finery of his own day. He was a late 16th century painter. So there they are in the best clothes of the Renaissance, in their silk stockings and their jaunty shirts and their hats with feathers in them and swords at their side. Here are people who have made it. And, of course, we know from the Gospel that tax collectors were relatively wealthy, probably skimming a fair amount off the top of their, the taxes they collected. So there they are worldlings, as they used to say, people caught up in the goods and values of the world. And then we see, off on the side of the composition, this mysterious figure of Christ. There's a light streaming from behind him, and then his hand is outstretched, and it's pointing toward Matthew. A lovely touch, the hand of Christ is adapted from the hand of God in Michelangelo's Sistine Ceiling. Caravaggio was a great admirer of Michelangelo, and he borrowed that hand as if to say, in this act, Christ is recreating a sinner. But the best part of the painting, I think, is the look on Matthew's face. As the light falls on him, as the hand of Jesus indicates him, he gestures to himself, and he has a look on his face of, of disbelief, as though to say, you're calling me? You want me to follow you? It's terrific. The painting catches in so many ways the drama of the scene, the sharp contrast, the raising up to a new life. Matthew's account is so beautifully written, and there's so much meaning packed into it. I'll just talk about a few dimensions of it. Let me read to you a few lines from it. As Jesus passed on, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the customs post. He said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Let me stop there and just say a few things. The first thing we notice, the look of Jesus. As he was passing by, he saw Matthew. His gaze fell upon him, and he called him. Friends, if there's one theme that's emphasized over and over again in the New Testament, it is the primacy of 
grace. This is always God's business. Why he calls, when he calls, how he calls, whom he calls, that is God's business. We don't earn it, we don't merit it, we don't choose it. Think of that scene when Jesus just got into St. Peter's boat. Peter didn't ask him, didn't invite him, didn't even know who he was. But Jesus got in his boat. Matthew was not looking for a change in his life. But suddenly, here was this Jesus who made a demand upon him. The primacy of grace. Well, you might be wondering, well then, what do we do? What's the point of the spiritual life? One spiritual master said, the whole purpose of a life of prayer is to be ready prepared so that when he calls, you are awake. I like that. Spiritual life, the life of prayer, liturgy, all of it is a way of keeping us awake that we might be responsive when the Lord calls us. Jesus says to him, follow me. Now, it's what he says over and over again when he calls. It seems pretty simple, straightforward. But you know, in our time, it's a radical statement. Beginning with the Enlightenment in the 17th, 18th century, the modern world has been characterized by autonomy. It's my life, my decisions. I determine my path, I create myself through my own freedom. There is, in modernity, a glorification of freedom, autonomy, self-direction. Christians, the gospel is antipathetic to that view. What's the first move in the spiritual life? When we follow Christ. We allow our lives to be determined not by our own egos and our own freedom and our own desire, but precisely by another's freedom and desire. We say, my life is not about me. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he wants to do with me. Follow me. Those are the words that all of us hear when we come into relationship with Jesus. Give up this illusion of autonomy. And rather, I'll use Paul Tillich's word here, accept theonomy. God is now the law of my life. Then the next line is terrific. He got up and followed him. The word here, the Greek word, translated as he got up, anastasis. The same word, by the way, used to describe the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Anastasis, getting up, standing up, rising. This is not just a physical description. It's that Matthew literally gets up from his tax collector's booth. But, of course, the spiritual symbol is much richer. He rises up to a whole new life, higher life. One term you'll find all throughout the New Testament, of course, is conversion. That just means turning around, conversio. I'm facing one way, now I turn around and face the other way. 
Well, here's another symbol. Anastasis. Anastasia. I get up. My life has been down at lower levels, and now through Christ, I've been called up to a higher life. I love in Caravaggio's painting, by the way, even as Matthew sees the Lord and acknowledges his presence, just to his right, there are two people who are utterly caught up in counting the coins. One fellow has his glasses on so he can see more clearly. Their heads are down. They're immersed in their work. Well, here are people who are utterly caught up in the goods and values of the material world. Matthew got up from that to follow the Lord. You know, Blaise Pascal, one of my favorite philosophers, said there's the level of the body, the level of the mind, and the level of the heart. The body, the most basic level, well, that's, you know, accomplishing and achieving and realizing the desires of the body for pleasure and for success and so on and so forth. That's fine. Nothing wrong with it. But Pascal said we're not meant to live only at that level. We're meant to rise up to a higher level, that of the mind. By this he means, of course, the study of mathematics and literature and history and philosophy, all those wonderful things that move us into broader and higher worlds. When you cultivate the life of the mind, you can sit down with Aristotle and you can sit down with Plato and with Newton. There's something that's broadening about the life of the mind. But then, Pascal says, that's not enough. Finally, we are invited into the realm of what he calls the heart. This is that mystical or religious realm that goes beyond what even the mind can grasp. The heart, it's the highest life. It's now living in the realm of God. What does Jesus say to Matthew but arise, follow me, and Matthew gets up to follow him. He's moving now out of the realm of the body and its very limited concerns into the realm of the heart. Life with the Lord. Now, what does this life look like? Well, the gospel gives us a little hint, which is terrific. The next line of this passage is, while he was at table in his house. Now, the implication is that Jesus called Matthew and then immediately summoned him to a banquet where he reclined at table with him. You find this, of course, all over the New Testament. Jesus eating and drinking with people. Yes, especially with sinners, with the marginalized, the forgotten. The banquet, the feast. Reclining at table with the Lord, sharing with him food and drink. Do you see, Christians, this is a very powerful liturgical and eschatological symbol. It's a symbol of what life with God is like. Adam and Eve, through sin, lost their intimacy with God. Now, through the call of Jesus, sinners are summoned back to this intimacy, sharing at table with him, sharing his very life, feeding on the Word. You might say, well, heck, I think when Jesus calls someone... He calls them to ministry, 
to mission, to action. And, and yes, that's true. I've often said that. No one's called in the Bible without being given a mission. That's true. But, but, what's even more primordial than mission? Intimacy. Friendship. Eating and drinking with the Lord. It's beautiful, isn't it, fellow sinners? When we're called by Christ, we're called to a shared life with Him. And then from that life will come our effective ministry, our effective proclamation. I just love the term, by the way, a companion. It's from the Latin words, cumpane, with bread, to share bread with another. We become companions of the Lord Jesus as he calls us to his life. Just a last reflection now as our time runs out. What's the reaction to this intimacy that Matthew has with Jesus? Well, some celebrate with him, that's true. In fact, his fellow sinners, all the other tax collectors and sinners come and they celebrate. But who doesn't celebrate? Precisely the Pharisee. Precisely the self-righteous one who stands on the outside and lives in resentment. How often, Christians, we find this, that Jesus calls people out of sin into intimacy with him. And whom does he face? He faces opposition from those who say, these people don't deserve it. We deserve it. We're the righteous. We're the upright. We've been following the law. It sounds like the prodigal son, doesn't it? And his resentful older brother. What's Jesus' game? His game is always the same. I want everybody at the banquet. Who's resisting? All those who in different ways are caught up in their own egos. Whether it's Matthew, who's so stuck in the world and stuck in the goods of his ego that he becomes a tax collector, or if it's a Pharisee or scribe who's so caught in his ego that he can't enjoy the banquet of God's grace. Both of them, both of them, Jesus calls up to a higher life. I bet there's some Matthews listening to me today. Let Jesus summon you and move up to a higher life. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of The Word on Fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.